Welcome to the Mead Podcast. I'm Tom, the founder of Gosnells. And I'm Will, the head brewer here at Gosnells. This is our podcast where we are going to be chatting about all things mead and booze. Uh, each week we take a, either a mead enthusiast or a mead maker and we sit them down to a bunch of questions about why they love mead. Uh, so yeah, so thanks to everyone who's spared some time for that, uh, from their busy schedules. I know everyone in the mead world is super busy at the moment. Yeah, and thanks everybody for their continued support over the last uh, God, couple of years now. So entering into the fourth season of the mead podcast. The fourth season. So thank you all for your support. And uh, Well yeah, let's just get into it. Let's go. So, well, we're here again. Another podcast, another day. Who have we yes. got on today? So today we've got uh, we got Chad, um, which we'll give it a little bit of an intro. But we, you know, how have you been, Tom? How's uh, things? We, I must admit, I'm feeling a bit baggy today. I'm yeah, not going to lie. Okay. We well, get that out we, way, we did a collaboration with a brewery up in Manchester yesterday, and we are. We, it was a late night. Like yeah, that. yeah. yeah it's, it was a long train journey. It was a long uh, train journey. It was yeah. a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. So. Chad, thanks a lot for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself and Garage East Mead? Hey there. Uh, my name is Chad Wilt. I am the owner and founder of Garage East Meadery in Tampa, Florida, in the USA. Brilliant. And how's the weather there in Tampa? Hot, I imagine. It is. It is hot and getting hotter. That's uh, <laughs> but that's that's perfectly normal for us. We're in the we're in the subtropics and uh, getting to those uh, those daytime temperatures in the the mid to upper nineties and the Fahrenheit. Is uh is, is pretty normal for us right about now. Nice. Well, we're nice. we're just getting off of I think about a month's worth of rain here in London. It's been bleak, like yeah. properly London grey. This is the first weekend that the yeah, sun's exactly. decided to come out, and I think it's going to be about twenty C. I don't. I think that's like about seventy seventy two, which is scorchy yeah, for that, London. That, yeah, yeah, that's that's well. that's killer. I'm I'm going away for the weekend to go and enjoy it. Uh, well, you could be sure to send some of that rain our way. We're actually uh staring into some drought conditions here as a result of oh, no rain uh, this has yeah. probably been greater yeah. part of a month since we've had a drop so oh really you should get some nice summer rains though in the in the subtropics no we do we do we have the uh we the the, the, the locals refer to them as splash and dash that's when you get a an yeah. extreme storm that lasts all of five minutes and then you carry on about your day so judge i mean Let's let's get back to the mead. I, I could talk about the weather all day, being yeah. British, but um, <laughs> let's not. Um, so, do you want to just tell us a bit about you and your background, and a bit more about your meadery? So, I spent my majority of my adult life in healthcare. Uh, I managed radiology, imaging departments for uh, two decades. Um, early 2012, 2013, I kind of discovered mead um, uh, through happenstance, mostly uh, just uh, enjoying bottles with friends at, a, at the bottle shares that we would do here. Yeah, and um, kind of embarked on a journey of wanting to find mead uh, and coming to the acceptance that there really wasn't any uh, in our area. Um, and so I opted to start making my own uh, in late 13. And fast forward to 2017, I'm opening up a meadery of our own. <laughs> so uh, it's been a it's been a, a unique journey. Turns around quite quickly, doesn't it? Once you sort of it grabs a hold of you, and then yeah, next thing you know, you've so, got yeah, you know, yeah. rooms of your house filled with the. Uh, with different whatnots <laughs> been there and done that yeah i had an an entire uh area of our living area <clears throat> devoted to nothing but uh uh carboys ranging from anywhere from one gallon to 15 gallons a piece uh yeah. it was definitely something that uh once you did one that you suddenly it was two next thing you know you had 10 <laughs> so yeah, well, that's it they, they take a couple of weeks to to ferment out so you just keep racking them yeah, up you gotta you know? have them on rotation <laughs> and then you've got to drink them you know so you've got to you know keep keep them well, that- rolling over 
Exactly, exactly. And in our case, basically, you know, what led us towards a, uh, this commercial destination was this idea that we were giving away, you know, tremendous amounts of meat to friends and family members and whatnot, and uh, eventually getting invited to festivals and people were like, hey, where can I buy this? And I'm like, ah, this is just a, just a hobby. I've got a real job. Feel free to take a bottle. Uh, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> you hear that for a few years and suddenly an yeah. idea is born and uh, you, you cash out your life savings and take a year off of uh, work to build a place. And then here we are. There you go. That's, that's, that's the dream for everybody. I think uh, it's a lot of hard work, but uh, it's, it's come to come to fruition. It has most definitely. So Chad, what, what kind of, what's your favorite style of mead? Let's start there. Like, yeah. yeah, what, what, you, yeah what do you like to drink? What, well, how did you get I... into it? What was kind of the mead that got you into mead? Ah, so uh, if being honest, the first meads I encountered were, uh, uh, rather subdued opposed to what I make professionally. Um, by that, I mean, we saw a little bit of traditional style meats here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we would occasionally see some very, um, um, uh, straightforward melomels. So, uh, perhaps using one fruit or another. So a, a cherry meat here, a blackberry meat there. Um, it was pretty much what we had at our disposal, uh, th- those few short years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. as far as my favorite, uh, and I think maybe underrepresented, at least here in the United States, I, I think piments are amazing. It's a, uh, it is yeah, far and away yeah. my, my, my favorite style to drink and to make for that matter. Um, I think that, uh, that, that probably has some roots in the fact that I was a, a wine guy before I was a, a mead guy. Um, yep. and so I, I feel like it's a, the perfect blend of the two things I love already. Um, that being said, like I mentioned they're they're not very common here in the States, uh, to see. Uh, and even when we do make them, they tend to be uh, uh, not quite as popular as some of our other more zany offerings. Uh, but again, they sold a special place in my heart. And, and odds are, if I'm drinking one of my products, that's that's the one. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah. So w- when you're making piments, what kind of um, what cutback part are you using? Grape juice or the skins or the you know how are you using the grapes in the in the piment? So obviously, like I mentioned earlier, we're not in a, in a viticultural region here in Florida. It's the subtropics, mm-hmm. so so frankly, grapes don't don't grow here. Uh, so, which has forced us to be a little bit resourceful and um, and bring in grapes and and skins and and juice from elsewhere around the country. Um, mm-hmm. So, generally, uh, we use a combination of, of kind of the three things you mentioned earlier. Yeah, uh, we we have found that the, um, the the easiest way to to get quality grapes here to the to the state of Florida is to get juice. Uh, a lot of times, the uh, providers will actually then. Uh, for lack of a better word, freeze dry the skins for us or bring them into a, a very like raisin like format. Uh, yep. And then, of course, we can add our add our oak and our honey uh, once it arrives here in Florida. Um, so that's that's the route we've uh, we've taken to, to get it done here in Florida. There's some some operations here that refer to themselves as custom crush uh, hmm. that will take your uh, take the variety of grapes that you're looking for, source them, uh, blend it. If you're going to blend uh, a couple of varietals together to uh, the specifications of your choice. And then, uh, then uh, typically we'll either freeze them or uh, have them sent directly to your location. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've worked, I've worked a little bit with uh, with frozen grapes, and and they, they carry quite well. Uh, it's just a, a step that usually I would do anyway. So I kind of find that uh, it just gives you a little bit of access to to multiple small amounts of grapes to be yeah. able to do trials and things like that, and it holds the quality. It's it's quite a nice little process. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Alas, that's definitely not in the cards. I believe the closest ones to us here in Florida would be several hundred miles away. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair it, enough, that's yeah. It. Uh, and then what kind of honey are you, you using? Are you using a variety or have you got like a, a style of honey or a type of honey that you always come back to? You know, uh, early on, we, we experimented a lot. Um, uh, different flavor profiles, uh, different uh, varietals from different areas. Um, I think that I think it's important that uh, at least what I've observed over the past few years is that uh, what Americans look for in honey is a little bit different than what I've experienced when talking to people internationally. Um, yeah, yeah. By that, I mean, uh, in the U.S., uh, honey is always sold as a liquid, uh, whereas uh, crystallized honey or, or more like paste form honey, I see that being quite common the world over. Yeah. Uh, the other part is that um, Americans in general tend to favor what I would describe as lightly colored uh, simple floral type honey expressions. So by that, I mean, they're generally turned off by either darker honey or anything that has any earthiness, bitterness. Uh, some of these, uh, forest type honeys, which you can certainly yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. The fun, the funky <laughs> fun ones. Yeah. So, uh, so that, 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 that feels like it does limit my creativity a little bit, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. uh, nonetheless, <clears throat> to your point, um, we are in Florida. Uh, Florida produces a large amount of orange blossom honey, uh, so that cool. is kind of our, our workhorse here. Um, it's, it's readily available. Yeah, we, we we love working with orange blossom honey. It's just such a it's it's light. It's got complexity. It's got a nice sort of acid base, and it's also one of the ones you can explain to people. So it's a good one for us to use to explain like the terroir of honey. So to what the where the bees have been foraging, because you can so you can give people a spoonful of it, and they kind of get the citrusy flavors coming through. So precisely, and in our case, it also allows us to uh, maintain those those local business relationships. As yeah, well. so yeah. It's a, it's a great honey. It's easy to explain. Uh, it, it plays beautifully uh, by itself or with fruit. Uh, so it, it's a uh, it's probably about ninety percent of what I use. Yeah, nice. So let's. Uh, I know it's quite early for you there, but have you got anything anything in front of you that you sort of want to? Uh... To tell the people about that you're drinking and enjoying at the moment. So our newest product is actually being released this evening. Uh, it is actually a traditional mead using a uh, sourwood honey, which is um, a tree that grows from um, uh, the state of Georgia, so on the east coast of the United States. It kind of extends through the Appalachian uh, mountain range. Uh, it's nice. very lightly colored. Um, we fermented this one using um, uh, some Saccharomyces hybrids which are kind of known for producing uh, some, some, some tropical stone fruit esters. So it's oh, cool. nearly colorless, uh, absolutely beautiful in the glass. Um, I get aromas of peach skins from it. Um, there's that, that very distinct flavor that you get from, the, from that uh, as well. Uh, I get uh, guava, I get mango, I get hints and elements cool. of passion fruit with some citrus. Um, I think this is not necessarily the most true expression of how the honey itself tastes, but I do think the the interaction between the yeast and the honey here is pretty fascinating. Uh, so I think it's yeah, going to go sure. over really well. No, I quite like a traditional where, you know, in a traditional, the yeast is, is quite a part of it. You know, the honey, honey is the main characteristic, but the yeast is also there for a reason. And that expression of which yeast you choose to yeah. go with which honey and how you choose to express that is, is kind of the art form, I think. Sure. Sure. Well, the, uh, the, the approach here in the States is, is generally, I would say most mead makers choose to use a very neutrally flavored yeast profile. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, Lalleman 71B product uh, being a good example. Um, so again, the, the, 
the yeast is there. It's a good fermenter. It's clean. Uh, yep. But the, the goal is to let the, the honey speak for itself. Uh, so I think only in recent years have you seen mead makers uh, like ourselves kind of be willing to um, flip the script a little bit and, and, and uh, have a, a final product that's a, a synthesis of both the, the, the flavor of the honey as well as the, the, the interplay of these uh, unique fermentation conditions. Yeah, that's it. And I think sometimes you'll just pick a honey that deserves that little place. But sometimes when I'm working you know, with fruit or, or things like that, that sometimes I want, you know, I want the yeast to be a little bit more dominant and play against the fruit and the honey, just take that, that back, that backstage and just cover in the middle and, and give you that sort of meaty-esque quality, but allow the other sort of adjuncts to stand up and, and be forefront. Like you make some pretty, pretty interesting melomels and, and, dessert sounding meats uh can you walk me through the process of creating these and specifically that that i i of course i haven't had a chance to taste it but that carrot cake mead sounds <laughs> awesome so if you just want to like oh, so um so so we have uh become known for tackling concepts um that are kind of weird uh sometimes um sometimes with amazing results every now and again we, we have our, mis- our misfires as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we all do carrot carrot cake was um um i'm sure you have carrot cake in the uk as well so carrot cake is a dessert that's found here and uh in the in the states and basically uh there's a number of different recipes to make it that are out there but one thing they all kind of have in common is obviously carrots uh typically raisins um some yeah, sort yeah. Of, of nut um uh and then generally some sort of an icing that's made out of out of cream cheese and all of that is supported by by flavors of nutmeg and cinnamon. Um, so what we decided to do was to create a mead, uh, trying to kind of emulate that flavor profile. So uh, we had uh, uh, about 3,000 pounds of carrots juiced um, by a producer in California, uh, nice. sent to us, and then we mixed it with our, our honey, some organic raisins, um, some toasted pecans, and then we fermented out using um, uh, a red wine strain, thinking, you know, let's bring out some whatever fruity character we can from these, these vegetables. Yeah. And then um, we finished it on uh, cream cheese, um, uh, just like you have uh, across the pond. Uh, the way we have to do that here in the United States. Is- yeah, so, so, uh, so it's actual cream cheese. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite yeah, intrigued. Yeah, so it's actual it. cream cheese. Um, so it's actually been dehydrated through a, a freeze drying process. So it's actually a, by the time it reaches me, it's effectively a granulated powder. And um, used the coconut uh, powder is similarly with a couple of things as well. It's a little, so the, yeah. The, the, yeah, it's similar. Yeah. So the challenge with it is that it does not dissolve at ordinary room temperatures. It has to be. It has to be heated. So you have um, you have a finished mead which contains alcohol. Uh, man, you're putting it on a, a what amounts to a heating uh, element, and you're trying to get it up to about a about 160 degrees Fahrenheit before you stir in your 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 crystalline uh, cream cheese. Otherwise, once you begin your, so your cool. clearing your your clearing process, it's just simply going to suspend right out and drop to the bottom. So yeah, we have to yeah. heat it up. We add we add our cream cheese. Uh, we try to as quickly as we can get it back to a more more normal temperature. At which point we um, decided to to simulate the the those nutmeg and cinnamon flavors uh by using brazilian amberana wood instead of instead of the actual spices themselves oh, that's, nice. um, yeah, that's interesting so the uh amberana is is, is used in a, a, a local rum uh type product that's very common in brazil called cachaça uh yep. and it definitely has a very a very strong uh nutmeg uh maybe even a little bit of a star anise uh profile to it um yeah, cool. so um 
so we, we had all those things in a tank and uh we, you know some seven months later we had a meat <laughs> um <laughs> we we filtered it uh as we ordinarily do uh everything seemed to be going right uh the flavor profile was um was polarizing for people um i think that the um uh, I think people's instinct is to compare it to a melomel where you have these acidic fruits. And of course, uh, yeah, there is yeah. a, a sharp lack of lack of acidity with, with vegetables. Um, yeah. So overall, I would say it was, it was, it was a very fun experiment. I think that unsurprisingly <laughs> yeah, it, people who enjoy, people who enjoyed carrot cake seemed to love it. Uh, people who <laughs> did not like carrot cake rather unsurprisingly did not seem to enjoy the meat either. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I, I never would have thought of dehydrated cream cheese. And you're saying that you actually uh, used it almost like salts and dissolved it into solution and you didn't get that much dropout during the filtration process or anything. So talking about the cream cheese again, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, sorry. Thanks. So, so the, it's, a, it's a granulated product. Um, I, I've been commercially available. We discovered it uh, about two years ago, so 2019. Uh, and you're certainly seeing it take off, um, certainly in the, in, the, in the world of beer here. Uh, craft beer producers are, are, are getting a lot, of, a, lot of, um, a lot of time out of that and certainly several new and innovative products. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a, an interesting discovery and in, in that if, if dissolved properly, it will stay in suspension and it will not filter out. Okay, wow. yeah, that's really cool. That's, I'm definitely going to keep that up my sleeve. For, I don't know. I'm not I don't gonna, know what we would do. Yeah, with I that. don't know what I'll do with it. But. Oh, my birthday cake, me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you wanted a birthday. Would you have a? Yeah. Uh, probably a buttercream. But yeah, I could, yeah it's, it's going to yeah, be a similar process, a similar right? Process that, yeah. That's anyway. opened up a whole new avenue for us, I think. I'll take it and run with it. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I it's uh it's one of those things that uh, was was brought to us by a collaboration with the brewery, much like you did. Uh, sounds like yesterday. Uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah. If, left to, if left to our own devices, that would have never found its way on our radar either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, fair enough. Oh, that's why we love these sorts of things. Then we get just to... a bit, bit of learning. Yeah, Every day is a school like, day. For sure. Just, uh, no, we, we, love hear... we love collaborating with breweries. I, I think we spent a, a large part of the, the past year during the, 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 the coronavirus pandemic and the shutdowns and, and whatnot. We used the, the, the opportunities since we were closer to home to, to mm -hmm. really spend some time doing these virtual collaborations with uh, meaderies and, and breweries that we've we've you know become friends with along the way um and i think that you know fast forward a year we're, we're much better off for it because we got to explore some things that ordinarily we wouldn't um and then yeah, more yeah. importantly uh there, there, there's these tips and tricks that you pick up along the way which ultimately are, are make your products better and I, I can honestly say that uh that, that that year despite all the other debacles that went with it was at least well spent from a professional and uh <laughs> yeah well, that's and, it. And, and state of the art standpoint well that's it when you don't have much else to do uh and you love your job it's uh it's kind of a no-brainer you just sort of uh find yourself with all this spare time and yeah well you say spare time you just fill them in with projects and things yeah. to do and you end up with this uh lovely lovely amount of work ahead of you keep yourself uh occupied uh chad sure. I, I i i we talked a little bit about the yeast you use as well but i quite like to know like since you're using quite a, a diverse amount of yeast strains, is there one where you're like, if I had to choose one, I would have this yeast strain because it's, it kind of encapsulates what we do here or, you know, one that I can know that it's going to run through everything and taste amazing. Do you have that one yeast that you love to death? Uh, you know, uh, going back to what I just mentioned, the past, the past year, 2020, we kind of, 
we had a workforce strain that we used a lot and 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 i'll go ahead and confess that that yeast strain was uh k1v um yeah, yeah. that was uh our workhorse effectively throughout 2018 and 2019 not, not to say we didn't vary from it uh if i had a very specific profile that i was looking for uh mm-hmm. but that was that was our that was our workhorse um so 2020 kind of came around uh, again we're, we're staying home we have the, the the luxury and opportunity to 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 do some concepts that ordinarily we might not and so we we really dug into to trying alternative fermentations and by that i mean kind of breaking away from saccharomyces and yeah. starting to use some different isolates uh, of, of thermotolerans and and pechia and 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 and, and, and torula spora and um, doing these co-inoculations where you have these wild isolates being followed by saccharomyces or mm. using blends of different types of saccharomyces and we got all sorts of really interesting results i i, I say interesting instead of good because some of them <laughs> were 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 better than surprising expected. some of them i don't know that i got much difference than i would see if i simply used a a much more traditional saccharomyces type type um type uh, element but you know, basically at this point i think what i've kind of learned or where we've settled in is um if i'm making a traditional style mead uh, just simply honey and water i'm mm-hmm. probably going to use um some of these wild isolates that i talked about earlier um they seem to thrive in environments where they have fairly low osmotolerance and so the abv is not expected to be that high and the residual sugars is not expected to be that high um if i'm making a dry product um which is not not very common for us uh, again i'm going to use these wild isolates you get some really cool uh phenolics and 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 terpenes and aromatic compounds and the the, the volatile thiols that come with that Mm -hmm. um if i'm making these giant explosive um uh, dessert style meads with really high starting bricks and really high finishing bricks as well. Um, yeah. The tried and true saccharomyces is, is, is still the way to go there. Um, or in our case, we've kind of gone into a blend of saccharomyces where we're, we're, yeah, cool. we've kind of settled in on a, on a, on a blend of, of, of strains that uh, we feel like if used together, kind of give us the, uh, the flavor profile that we're looking for. So the answer to your question is, um, uh, two years ago, uh, K1V, that was, that was our workforce. <laughs> now we're, we're, we're a lot more varied, uh, depending on what we're trying to tackle. So I think we've, well, that's we've it, kind you, of been... you really, you really want to nail down that, 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 that process. And you kind of get into, uh, the love of a yeast as well. Mm. Once you sort of figure out what it does and how to play with it, you know, and that sort of scientific mindset comes in where you start pushing it with, with different stresses in different directions and, and uh, see what it can do. But once you've run out of ideas, it's it's time to, to change up and, and get some excitement in there. For sure, for sure. And, and there's so many, so many choices. I, oh, God, I mean, yeah. You can use one, one yeast every day and, and you'd never get through them all. Well, there's there's two decided arguments. And I've, I've, I've kind of, I've changed my tune, which was uh, early on, if you'd asked me, I would have told you it would be, it, it might be better to be a, a master of one yeast strain as opposed to a novice with dozens. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, uh, fast forward a few years, I think my outlook has changed. That where maybe it's a maybe it's better to be a master of a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I can agree with that. I also see that you guys like us, you know, have quite a nice little oat program, and you use a lot of uh, oats throughout your process. Do you want to just uh, give you know the the budding 
meat maker, some some advice thinking about using oak for the first time. You know, what have you learned over the over the time? Uh, so oak, ah, man, I love oak. Um, so I will tell you, early on, I think the fear that I had was this potential of the the dreaded over oaking. Um, and I gotta tell you, the longer I'm around. Maybe it's because I love oak so much. I haven't run into very many products that I would describe as having been overly oaked. Um, so the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that, um, you know, um, certainly some caution should be, should be, should be used, but uh, yep. maybe put yeah. that fear to the side just a little bit. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that I think uh, helped us and, and, and one of those experiences that uh, I'll never forget was I was, in, I was in California, I was in Napa going to these these different wineries and looking through the barrels and seeing the products being made and uh one of the things i took note of was <clears throat> not only was there uh different types of oak uh so you had your your, your your standard american oak you had your french oak you had your uh your european slovakian type oak uh but what i also took notice of was that they actually charred the barrels differently so this one may be a, a mm -hmm. very high degree of char this one might be a very low degree of char and so what I took from that is that um, at the end of the day, these, these very well-established, world-famous international wineries are actually giving you a, a product that's been rested on not only different types of oaks, but oaks of different toast. And so we started doing that ourselves. Uh, now, obviously, we, we don't use barrels, but we use staves. And uh, I think when our product started really showing better complexity as well as nuance was when we started doing this idea of of blended oak and blended toast. So um, mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for us to use a blend of American and French, uh, or even throwing in some of the European oaks as well, uh, yeah, with part cool. of it being, yeah. uh, you know, uh, at a high degree of char and other parts of it being uh, very light toast. Um, and I, I feel like that that gives a, a much more uh, rounded flavor profile. So uh, if you're giving advice to a, to a novice, I would say um, uh, two things. One, uh, you know, don't, don't be so afraid of over oaking uh, and two, don't be afraid to experiment a little bit. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, putting different elements together yields yields bigger and better results. Yeah, and and we've sort of found the same thing that with the overoaking is it'll come back around it, as well. It can it come does. back around. Sometimes you can have all that tannin structure a bit strong. And I'm, I have one that was sitting in barrel for about eighteen months, and I got to it by the time you know being busy as we are. By the time I got to, to bottling, I was like, oh, that's that's changed a little bit. It's got a little bit too much oak in there, and I was like. Instead of pulling it out, I'm just going to leave it and see what happens. You know, what have I got to lose? And then six months later, it turned around and hit a new peak again. It was, I wouldn't say twice as good, but it was definitely better than when I thought I was going to pull it out the first time. So that was quite a learning curve for me. Yeah, I think so. that um, when I do see over oaking, uh, it's it's usually uh, because it went to a barrel. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we use lots of barrels to be sure. Um, we have the benefit of using uh, formerly used spirits barrels. So, you know, uh, barrels that might've previously held whiskey or bourbon. Um, so a, a large amount of that, that, that oak tannic character has already been leached out. And so I, mm -hmm. I don't feel like uh, they, they impart oak nearly as quickly or as intensely as a freshly charred new oak barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're not really seeing much of that uh, here in the States. I think that uh, for the most part, you know, um, when, when we see oak being used here in the States, it's generally um, uh, some combination of either the, uh, the powder, so the, the, the sawdust, uh, the cubes, uh, or, the, or the, the spirals, which is um, uh, my, my preferred tool, uh, just because they're easy to uh, insert and extract. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yes, we're definitely seeing that. And, and, and to be truthful, um, 
you know, just uh, four or five years ago, uh, Oaks Meads here in the United States were, were at least based on my anecdotal experience, seems somewhat uncommon, but uh, it is definitely something that is, uh, you know, firmly entered the vernacular for American mead makers in the past two or three years is this idea. Yeah, of which, with, which is exciting which is, for me. Like, yeah, as, as an oak lover, the, the more that we can produce, the more that I can get my hands on, the happier man I am. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think it's I think it's made for a, a better product overall. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I also find too that with uh, with barrel aging as well, like if you've got so much uh, profile, it just gives you uh, the ability to start blending as well, you know, and having something that's quite high in tannin and quite high in, you know, sort of an oxidized uh, quality. You can you can blend that out over over a batch or use that as adding a little bit of, of, of depth into into something else that I'm making. I don't necessarily want that to be, you know, the, the forefront of the of the profile. Um, sure. we, we're going to keep cracking on because we do like to, uh, to, to keep these nice and fast paced and, and get to know you guys, get to know everybody in that sort of 45 minutes. Yeah. So we, when we touched on it a little bit before, when we spoke about the honey you like to use, but I guess, like, how do you think about selecting a honey for a recipe? What kind of things are you considering? And then you know, um, tell us about some of the best honeys you've had. Okay. So, uh, so best honey, um, <clears throat> most recently, actually the, the, the one I'm drinking this morning, the, the sourwood honey. Uh, mm -hmm. is, is pretty amazing. It's light. It's delicate. I believe it's won the, uh, the title of best honey in the world at Apple Mundia twice now. Uh, so it's got nice. some, it's got some, some international chops. Um, <laughs> other ones that I've kind of encountered in the past year, uh, we have a, a company called Bee Seasonal located here in the States, which works a lot with um, importing honey from uh, South America and Asia. Uh, I got to try some Brazilian quince uh, quince fruit honey mm. from them last mm. year and it was uh, stupendous I, I bought as much of it as I can uh, <laughs> and we did use it for several meads um, uh, unfortunately I felt like um, it's it was it would be wonderful as a traditional but when you're blending it with a tremendous amount of fruit it felt like maybe you were losing some of that character to the fruit uh, so it kind of felt mm -hmm. like a, a bit a bit of a waste to take something that was kind of rare and delicate and mask it with a bunch of fruit so we've become a little little bit more selective about how we use it um, yep. as far as how we choose our honey um, I try to look at um, the pairing uh, what does the flavor of the the, the honey going to uh, in, in parts along with uh, the fruits or herbs or spices that we're using and uh, as we kind of alluded to earlier orange blossom has kind of become our our, our, our mainstay in that regard yeah, yeah. we do work with other with other honeys um, uh, Metafoam honey is a, a varietal that's from the, the Pacific Northwest region here in the States. Uh, it imparts a, a, a very strong uh, marshmallow vanilla character, which yeah, plays I see that well. come out quite a lot with a lot of mead makers, and it seems to be quite quite popular at the moment across the States. And yeah, it, it is it is really <clears throat> great honey. Um, it's it, it's 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 sweet. It's got a um, a caramelized uh, marshmallow vanilla vibe, which is just unmistakable on the nose. And anybody who's mm -hmm. experienced before can just immediately, uh, immediately uh, identify what it is. Um, it's also made it such that uh, uh, because all the uh, American mead makers are so fond of it, it's made it very hard to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you oftentimes have to kind of work with your producers even as much as a year in advance to secure uh, the kind of quantities that you may want. Wow. So uh, actually, yeah. actually only about a month ago, we, we, 
we finally got our hands on some after a year of waiting. And, and frankly, if I had not um, uh, put my money, uh, put my money down a full year ahead of time, I, I would not have got any. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's definitely crazy. become the, uh, it's become, the, it's become the goose that's laid the golden egg for honey producers here in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, we're, we're, there's one perk, I suppose, of being one of the, uh, the only people making meat in the here is, uh, <laughs> but kind of the, uh, you know, the bell of the ball. Yeah, everyone wants to sell us honey. Everyone wants to sell us honey. Um, so, Chad, we're, we're kind of we're approaching the end, end of kind of our session. We, as we said, we try and keep these throughout 40, 45 minutes. But do you have any questions for us uh, before we kind of, we always, uh, we always open it up and just in case you want to ask us anything because uh, otherwise we just sit yeah, back I mean, and ask these things questions. are meant to be a, a back and forth like we love meeting meat makers all around the world and, and getting to know them and and part of getting to know somebody is them getting to know you so yeah I'll open up the floor to you if you've got anything you want to talk about well you know what i i've i've had the occasion to um uh to go to south america and visit wineries and meteries i have I have had the occasion to uh, to visit Europe. However, I've not made it to the UK, uh, so it's definitely on my on my to do list. Uh, but you know, tell me about how um, you know what what is the what is the current status of mead and and how how are things growing in the in 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 the UK? Yeah, so I think when we started, so I started Gosnell's what 2013 2014, um, and it was fair to say that no one knew what mead was, or if they did, they thought it was this kind of weird heritage drink. So with Beowulf or Game of Thrones type sort of themes. I think we've we've been working quite hard to change that image and talk much more about honey and provenance and uh, without being too po-faced about it to sort of talk a bit more about the products and the liquid. Um, and I think we're, we're getting there, Chad. We are getting there. I think um, there are more meaderies opening up in the UK all the time. They're still quite small. Um, I mean, we're one of the bigger ones, and we're we're not very big. Yeah, <laughs> Put it like people that. People get surprised about how how small our uh, floor space is. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, uh, uh, but I there can... are some there's some good new producers coming up, which is exciting to see. So we can totally relate here. Um, so we opened our place in 2017. We're we're actually uh, only a matter of weeks from our four year anniversary, and it is oh, it is funny when we talk to to new aspiring mead makers. They actually talk to us like we're we're old man winter. You know, and it's like, you, you guys realize <laughs> yeah. we've only been at this for four years, right? You know, you know? <laughs> um, and then to your point, um, we deal with the same phenomenon here, which is this idea of um, Game of Thrones, uh, Nordic culture. Um, and yeah. so we really uh, had to, to kind of, much to your point, try to break away from this idea of, of this is a historic beverage. We've also had to kind of convince people that mead is not always sweet um it, it's certainly uh with the style of mead that that, that we do um uh, sweet is definitely something that um that that is is prevalent in, in ours uh, but we also remind them the sweet in moderation is certainly enjoyable um i think the other thing that we've found success with is uh i think you know all of this would stop short of of describing any alcoholic beverages being healthy but i think one of the the very unique and cool things about meat is perhaps the word wholesome, um, this idea of all natural <laughs> ingredients. And, 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 yeah. and you know, as, I think as people have gotten more in tune with their food sources, uh, you know, using honey as opposed to high fructose corn syrups or other types of sweeteners, I think is, has kind of helped propel uh, meat a bit. Uh, and to your point, we're definitely seeing growth here. Um, when we got our, our license back in 2017, there's a little more than 100 meters in the United States. Um, yeah. That number is, is now over 1,000. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, 
to give you an idea of the growth, it is, uh, I'll be honest, as the guy who was five years ago questioning his, his sanity to open a meadery, uh, I, ne- I never saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so, mad. That's ten, tenfold. So, well, that's awesome. I'm glad to, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, no, that's great. And so I guess in, in your world, what are you finding exciting? And, you know, you're thinking about a bit more about the future of me. Where, you know, what are you getting excited about at the moment, Chad? Um, you know, as I look, I look around the, the, the mead landscape in the United States, um, I will be intellectually honest and recognize that 2020 was very hard on a large number of meteries. Um, we, we lost a lot. Um, and that's, that, that's, that was difficult because these are your friends and, and industry peers. And, um, so now we're, we're kind of picking up the pieces. We're getting back to life as normal. Um, what does, uh, me 2.0 look like? I'm, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> um, but what we are seeing here is definitely people kind of exploring some frontiers. Um, uh, these quasi beer slash mead mashups. Uh, one of the, 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 the things that's kind of emerged in the beer world here is this idea of slushy type beers, which are, um, beers that have been fermented out and then they have a tremendous amount of, uh, fruit purees and oh, yeah. uh, sometimes I added to it. And, and uh, so from a, from a, a, an aesthetic standpoint, uh, I, as a winemaker, you know, find this, you know, just reprehensible, but I get it. People are actively looking to consume these things. And so who am I to, to cast judgment? This is what well, the customer it. wants. Obviously, obviously the customer is right. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing these things on one end. Uh, you're seeing some really cool creativity, uh, which I'm really excited about, kind of from what we would call the session mead makers. So these are the guys that are making the um, the four and five percent, six percent ABV products that are oftentimes in a can and bubbly. And um, I, I feel like they um, do a much better job, kind of reaching the, the average consumer than than the, those big boisterous boisterous products that I get to make on a regular day to day basis. <laughs> so um, I'm excited. I think the overall trajectory is healthy um you know obviously 2020 was was was, was difficult but um i think yeah. that the, the road to recovery is is there i think that i think the interest in mead continues to grow um i see new faces on a week-by-week basis in our tasting room which is exciting many of them come back which is a which is good um so i think things are, are trending in the right direction uh but like i said if you if you'd asked me uh, five or so years ago as i'm you know, looking around and there's not a single, you know, what I would consider very successful meadery in the, in the, in the entire state of Florida. And I'm worrying, you know, wondering about my sanity. Uh, if you had told me we'd have seen 10 times growth over the next five years, I'd have said, you, you, you have lost your mind, but here I am eating my words. So, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, that's brilliant. That's, it's, it's, it's always nice to hear that, uh, you know, the last couple of years being productive for you, but also, you know, it kind of puts everything in perspective and makes you sort of realize that, uh, you're one of the, one of the lucky ones, and and uh, you know you've, you've got to you've got to take things when you can. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely been a, a one heck of a roller coaster ride, and uh, and I'm sure we have plenty of ups and downs left uh, in front of us. But uh, nonetheless, it's it's been it's been far and away the most rewarding job I've had. It's been a That's an amazing it. creative outlet yeah. from a, from an artistic standpoint. Uh, I consider myself extremely fortunate to uh, to to have got as far as we have and and to receive the, uh, the amount of acclaim and, 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 and awards and certainly all the new friendships as well. It's been, uh, it. it's been, it's been a hell of a journey and, and even opportunities like this, you know, um, 
you know, uh, yeah. if you ask me four years, am I talking to a bunch of guys in the UK by podcast? Uh, probably not, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, we, we, we always try to remind ourselves that we're, we're lucky and that, you know, we just come into work and, and throw some honey and water together and, and have a good time and, and go home, you know, like it's, it's a blessed life and we're, we're, we're very happy to have it. Yeah. Well, anything okay. else for me guys? No, I think that's been brilliant. Thanks a lot for your time. We 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 love having these chats, and and you know you you're on my my list now, and I'm going to be uh on our Mead road trip. Is yeah, that, yeah, like, you're definitely going to oh. be in the Mead road trip, but yeah. also I think I'm going to question you a little bit about this uh, powdered cream cheese again because yeah. it, it's, sure. it's kind of got me excited. This is this is going to be or a new so little project for the guys. We're helping. We've uh we've we've all you know got to wait for for things and travel to to get restarted, but um um I, I I've committed myself that I want to get to the I want to get to the UK in the next, uh, the next year or two. Um, uh, just because it's one of those, one of those things that I've always had on my to-do list. And, yeah, yeah. um, and, uh, over the past few years, I've kind of, uh, adopted English premier league soccer as one of my guilty pleasures. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so, um, so I've always kind of said, I, I want I want to get across the pond. I want to see a game. Um, and so, uh, that's going to be hopefully my on our radar for 2022. And if we do, well, you, you know where we are. Come, come <laughs> by and come by and we'll do a collab. And you certainly yeah, have exactly. bring you your cream are... cheese powder. And we'll... <laughs> You've always got to see the bar here, mate. I can only imagine what your customs officials will say when a, an American shows up with a couple of kilos of white powder. But it's cream cheese, I promise. <laughs> the guy yeah, from Florida again, is bringing white you. powder again. Thank you. Couple questions. All right, guys. Uh, well, have a great thank evening. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you too. Have a good day and uh, keep at it. You got it, guys. Be good. Yeah, have take care, Sharp. Thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that. So hit the subscribe and like button. And follow us on all our social media. And we'll see you again next week. If you've got any questions or thoughts or just want to chat about me and honey, then drop us an email to podcast at dawsons.co.uk. Or better still, jump on our Instagram. Ask us uh, any questions that you have and watch us scramble to try to find the answer and uh, look like we know what we're talking about. Or if you want to see what I look like, then I'm going to the website at www.dawsons.co.uk.